Fruit to Fruit Sermon Series is about a book called Galatians written to several churches in a city called Galatia that were filled with Christians that were struggling in their spiritual walk. And by the way, they struggle very similarly to the way that we do. Can you not agree that you struggle in your walk with the Lord? I struggle in my walk with the Lord. And some of those believers that Paul is writing this to, they were grinding their way through the Christian walk with the heads down, teeth clenched, joyless struggle. I know Christians in Cornerstone that do that. And there were other people in this church, and they were Christians as well. And they thought because they had a ticket to heaven, how they lived on the way there didn't really matter. And I know Christians at Cornerstone that live like that. The truth is, brother and sister in Christ, you have been set free from the power, the dominion. Now, I want you to hear that word dominion. Because really, it's what I mean when I say power. The enslaving power, dominion, penalty of sin by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you have been set free for a life of serving God and living out his will in incredible love. You've been able to do that now because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Before Jesus died for you, before you became a Christian, your life, whether you realize it or not, was inexorably or hopelessly devoted to you more than anybody else. doesn't matter how good of a person you think you might have been before you were a Christian. Your compass needle, the default direction was you. And it was that way for me as well. And when Jesus died and when we put our faith in him, he swung that needle out. And the Spirit of God takes people like you and I, Christians like you and I, that every day wants to bring that needle back to you and me, right back to ourselves. The Spirit of God holds it vertically to God and right out to other people. So we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors ourselves. So we're about today to conclude this series, and Paul's actually, in verses 24 25 of chapter 5 in Galatians, he's going to conclude his thoughts. How do you overcome the desires of the flesh? How do you live out the fruit that the Spirit of God wants to produce in us? So here's what I want to get in your mind as a bit of an imagery. This last week we had a snowstorm. I love being out in snowstorms. You have to remember, I come from central New York, Syracuse area. We get more snow inches per year than anywhere else in the northeast. I love snow. I grew up in it. And so when my daughter is working and has to get to her job and get back from her job, I'm the first one to volunteer. I'm out on the road, and I've got a Ford excursion. Now, the Ford excursion's the biggest sports utility vehicle ever been made in America. This thing weighs so much, it's incredible, the tonnage, I guess I should say the tonnage of this thing is incredibly um, big, let's say it that way. And so I'm driving, and I'm getting behind front-wheel drive sedans, and they're stuck on a mirror incline. And here I am out in this four-wheel drive, this excursion. Now, they're not really stuck. They're just spinning their way very, very slowly, the pace of a glacier, up this road. 
And here I am just putting it in forward drive and getting out and around them and right back up. And that's actually what this sermon is going to be like. See, sometimes you're going to go to a church and sometimes the sermon is going to feel like a front wheel drive sedan. You know, pretty fun, zippy, gets you from point A to point B. And then other times, you're going to go deep in theology. You're going to need the big SUV. Well, I'm going to bring all of you, which I'm pretty sure most of you could actually fit in the Ford Excursion. I'm going to invite all of you into this thing with me. And we're going to go deep. And I'm going to answer for you from the words of Paul. How do you overcome the desires of your flesh? And how do you live out this life where, a, where the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in you? I'm going to answer it all as a culmination of this entire series today. Are you ready? Just two points. They're going to be big. Almost the entire sermon is going to be the first point. And here it is. You ready? The crucified life. Now I'm going to introduce some things to you that you may never have considered before. And it starts with this in verse 24. Let's get your Bibles out. Galatians 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now this is remarkably powerful. I need you to be looking at that verse, verse 24. It's got a couple of really clear truths and they're not going to be almost believable. The first one is this. All those, look at the verse, who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh. What's that really even mean, belong to Christ Jesus? And what do you mean, have crucified the flesh? I mean, come on, let's get in the excursion. You ready? Let's go deep. We're not afraid of theology. we got to anchor our lives to the deeper truths, the mysteries of Christ. we got to make them clear. we got to live our lives by them. So this is at least pu- puzzling. Possibly jarring to you, if you really think about it. I mean, come on, look what it says. You have crucified the flesh. Christian, what Paul is saying is that you have already done something in the past that you need to continually remind yourself of in the present. That's the Greek tense that this is written in. You have crucified the flesh. So if you belong to Christ Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus for your salvation, well, this is true whether you realize you've done this or not. This is true. You have crucified the flesh. But let's get to it. What does that really mean? Well, I'm going to explain it the way Paul does. And I'm going to have to take you to Romans chapter 7. So you can either flip over there or read it on the screen. But let me start out by explaining what Paul's about to tell us. Denise and I right now, today is our 28th wedding anniversary, okay? 28 years ago, pretty fun. Now, you and I both know your applause is for my wife who put up with me for 28 years. If you know me deeply, you know that's true. 28 years, right? So we belong to each other through marriage. And our rings, our rings are the symbol of that belonging. This signifies to other people that I belong to somebody. It signifies to other people on my wife's finger that she belongs to somebody. This is the symbol of belonging. So here we go. We've got Romans chapter 7. Paul writes, those who belong to Christ Jesus, you see it in there, you're about to see it. He's now using what's called, and don't be afraid of this, he's using covenantal marriage. If you're married, 
you've already experienced the power of covenant. If you want to be married or you're about to be married, you're about to experience it. It's when God makes a contract with two people who are making a contract, and he's the binding force of it. So by the way, if you've not yet been married and you want to get married, and you think perhaps that you're actually brought into one person when the pastor says, by the power and the authority of the state of Pennsylvania, that's not when you're married. You're married when you take your vows. It's the very center of the wedding ceremony. That's why when I do weddings, I'm telling them, listen, these are significant. Don't just cut and paste off the internet. You are now being married at the very moment of your vow taking. That's when God enters into your marriage. He brings two people into one. Now Paul's about to use this metaphor. Romans chapter 7 verse 2. <clears throat> For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But, huge, important, but right here. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him, to Jesus, who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So we've got this marriage metaphor, which binds people together legally, and you're only released from it when one person dies. And Paul takes this principle and he applies it to the Christian with the truth that, listen, this is it. Now, you got to get this. Every single one of us, when we were born, we were born into a relationship with the law of God. You may never have realized that. That might not have been put in your baby shower bag. That might not have been knitted on a blanket that you're born into a law with God. But that's the truth of the essence of it. You're born into the law of God. That's the moral law. And it has absolute dom domination over your life. You will be held accountable. So listen, if you reject Jesus all of your entire life, and you stand before Jesus the judge, at the end of those days... What he will do is judge you by the law of God. And you will, like I would have and like I did, you will fall short. You will fail the judgment. So every single person who rejects Jesus has the accusatory finger of the law aiming at them. And it's pounding the gavel and it's pronouncing one word, guilty. Guilty on all counts. See, we have sinned and fallen short of the perfect, holy, right demands of God that he has made clear in his law. And we deserve his judgment. In fact, look at Romans 7.1. It is binding on a person only as long as he lives. How do you get out of this relationship with the law? Now, let time out for a second because some of you are thinking, man, I know I'm in the excursion of theology, but I don't think he's put in forward drive because we're not moving yet. So let me kind of get you moving, all right? You were born as a baby under the dominion, the demands of God expressed in his law. You had a relationship with his law. You didn't invite it. It is God's prerogative. He has brought all humanity into it and under it. 
The only way out of that relationship, because guess what? You need to get out of it because just like me, you cannot keep the law the way that you need to keep the law to please God. You've lied. I've lied. We've cheated. We've lusted. We've not always been fully honest in everything that we've said. We've shaded the truth. We've withheld information deceitfully. We've had murderous anger. We've withheld love. We have failed the law on every single count. We are guilty. And the only way out of the dominion and the damnation of that law is one way. Somebody has to die. The law will not die. You have to die. And that's what we need to explain. You see, it takes our death to break free from the law of God over us. Look at Romans 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died. That means we've died. Having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We don't try to live, in other words, by the law anymore. It won't work. You can't keep it. You can't possibly be good enough. Even if you're a really good person, your goodness might come up to here, but God's goodness is through the roof. And unless your goodness goes through the roof where his is, you just fell short of the glory of God. You have failed, and the law accuses you, just like it accused me. You've got to be released from it. And the only way you can be released is to die. How do you do that? Faith. By faith, we are to count ourselves of having spiritually died to the law, no longer bound to it, no, no longer under its dominion, and instead, go back to Galatians 5.24, instead, we belong to Christ. Now, let me use the marriage metaphor again. Denise and I are married. Let's say that I pass away. The moment I pass away, my wife is released from our marriage vows where God made our covenant. That covenant is dissolved. She is free, should she choose, to marry another. But until I die, she cannot choose to marry another. She's in a covenant with me. It works the same way you were born under the law of God. The only way you can be released from that is to die. And you must die, and then you can marry another. And the other person that you marry, that you come into a relationship with, is Jesus. Now, right now, you're probably going, I am not getting this. So let me get you to the second part. This clear, simple truth. The means of our death is crucifixion. Now, Christian brother and sister, this is really, this message is for you. It's an invitation, if you're not a Christian, into a life that you can only have one way. But if you're a Christian, what I'm going to tell you today, what you're going to learn in this message, can absolutely free your life from the dominion of sin. You can have the power to be able to say no to ungodliness. The key is what I'm teaching you today. The means of our death is crucifixion. You're back in Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires or passions and desires. Now this might be 
a little bit confusing. Because I'm going to take you to Galatians chapter 2 for a moment. Can you flip back your pages? Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 20 because this looks like, wait a minute. Paul just said that he, on behalf of every Christian, for an example for every Christian, he had already been crucified with Christ. So why, why, Paul, are you telling us that we have, if you belong to Jesus, we have crucified the flesh, when in chapter 2, verse 20, you're telling us that you have been crucified. You see, in 2.20, somebody crucified Paul's old self. Here, Paul's saying, you've got to crucify yourself. So which one is it? See, back in chapter 2, verse 20, crucifixion was something that was done to us. It was done to us by God himself as he joined us with the crucifixion of Christ. So listen, let me ask you a question, Christian. How many people were up on crosses that day when Jesus died? Now, don't say three, Jesus and the two criminals, because you don't understand this theology if you say three. You've got to see yourself up there, Christian. You've got to see all the millions of Christians, all the millions who will become Christians, all those who have become Christians. There's millions of crosses. There are millions of people being crucified with Christ. You're there. I'm there. You see, each of us was born into a nature to sin. Now, you've got to hear this. You were caught up in it just like I was. And that nature to sin, it held me and it held you under its mastery. It had its dominion over you. And I can prove it really in two ways. Parents, you're going to get this. You never once had to teach your children to sin. And they learned almost immediately. You never had to train them to be sinners. That was their default mode. But here's the second proof. Their default mode was not to be good. Their default mode was not to sacrifice. Their default mode as a little child was not to naturally share their toys or their candy or their food or their Christmas gifts. You had to teach them that. You had to train them that. You see, the nature to sin holds us into its dominion, and we're all born into it. Every single human being was born with a sin nature. And it comes natural to that old self. You see, that sin nature goes by another name in the Bible. It's called the old self. The old Tim Ackley, not a very good person. And it came natural sin did to my old self, that sin nature. And listen, it has to be completely severed before the new nature of Christ can begin in me. So something had to take my old self and nail it to that cross and keep it on that cross before I can have a new nature that now has the Spirit of God in me to teach me to love. See, what was crucified was the old self. And it was nailed there, chapter 2, verse 20, nailed there by God the very moment you believed. He took this, this primordial, influx, resident hatred of God called your old, old self. He took this compass pointing to you 
effort, effervescent, uh, organic fluid that just ran through your spiritual veins that said, I want my will more than I want God's will. And it beats and it pulses with the power of dominion and mastery over you. So that my choices, even though sometimes I could do some really good things, even if I wasn't a Christian, it, at the end of the day, it's still going to be about me. That old self is intractable. It is unredeemable. It is untrainable. It was nailed by God himself out of my life up onto the cross. It goes by another name, by the way. Your sin nature, your old self, your old hardened heart all of that was nailed on that cross and crucified by God so if our old nature if that old self was crucified with Christ well go back to chapter 5 now we're going to answer the question why did Paul say that we have crucified the flesh now here's where we're going to get really practical you ready bear with it the enslaving, ruling nature of Tim Ackley is gone. It's nailed on the cross with Christ. He took my old, hard heart, that heart of stone that Jeremiah called it, and he got it out of my life, and he put it up on that cross, and he put a new heart in me. And he did it all through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he severed me from it. And he gave me a new nature, a new heart, a new self, so that I'm a new creation in Christ. But guess what? Tim Ackley still lives in a body of flesh. And this body pulses with a flood of desires. And sometimes those desires go contrary to God's desires. So every day, what I need to do is remember my old self is nailed on that cross. My old me is crucified with Christ. I've been given a new nature. I've been given a new heart so that I can do Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Look at the old self. It's nailed there. Deny it, kill it, and follow me. You see, we deny ourselves, and this is the key, you ready? We've got to learn the discipline in this. We deny ourselves. We see our old self nailed to the cross. We know and we realize and we believe by faith it's dominion over me. It's broken. And I can pick up that cross, the means of killing it. And I can follow Jesus every day. In fact, I must do this every day if I'm going to have victory over my desires. Every day, I've got to deny myself. I've got to do it every day. I've got to pick up my cross, and I've got to follow Jesus. That's the discipline of living victoriously. And there's only one way this can happen. It's by faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he died on that cross to take your old self and crucify it? To give you a new heart filled with righteousness? To bring the Spirit of God inside of you and teach you to live in a way that is pleasing to God? To give you the power to do what God wants you to do? That's salvation. That's the gospel message. So I'm going to teach you how to do this in a minute, what I'm teaching you. I'm going to explain it a little bit more uh, clearly using crucifixion language. But let me ask you a couple of questions. Can I ask everybody here, just answer this 
personally. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to nod your head. You just literally, just you and me right now in this sanctuary. Forget everybody else to just listen to these questions as if you and I were sitting in your own living room and I'm just asking you. Have you realized your great problem of sin and felt the terror, the terror of the accusing law of God and heard the pronouncement guilty? Have you ever felt that? Now, you might put that in your own words, and I'm not asking you, did you actually hear those words in that order? I'm not asking that. Have you, what I'm asking, have you realized that you've got a major problem called sin that's going to damn your life to hell? But there's a God who says, I don't want you in hell. I love you. I provided all the means for you to be able to get out of hell and get into heaven. And I'm going to make this life on earth one worth living. But you need to see the only way out of it. And it's through my son, Jesus. I set him to die for you. And instead of seeing the accusing finger of the law, you're going to see the beckoning right hand of the loving Heavenly Father reaching out for you. So I'm still asking you, we're still in your, your, your living room, have you believed that the sacrifice of Jesus was personally meant for you? I have to believe not everybody here can say yes. I mean, after all, we are told that the way to destruction is broad and the way to life is narrow, meaning there's a lot fewer people on this road of salvation than we probably even want to dare admit. So I, I wouldn't really take it for granted that everybody in this sanctuary is on the narrow road and has said yes to Jesus. So I might be speaking to somebody here that really right now you're feeling that bit of fear and anxiety. You can feel it in your heart. Well, if you're feeling that, that's the voice of God saying, listen, I want to save you. I want to deliver you from that. I want to give you the power to live this life in a way that pleases me, that's going to bring you joy, peace, and love, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness. And self-control. So I'm going to ask you two more questions. You're still in the living room with me. Have you accepted that Christ's death was in your place? Yes, you should have died up there. You should have been the one to suffer the wrath of God. But God instead said, no, I want to save you. And so he transferred your sins, all of those falling short of the glory of God, all of those times where you lied or deceived or lusted or raged, all of those times he's taken all of that and in one big giant heap put it onto the Son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. But he didn't leave you an empty vessel he took all the righteousness of Jesus and now he put it all into you so that you look like you had never sinned before in your life and Jesus looks like he's done every single one of your sins. And he did that for you. So have you ever believed that? 
that now, that now God declares you his son or his daughter, and he welcomes you into his family, and he seals you with adoption papers, with a guaranteed inheritance for eternity. So my last question, in your living room now, just you and I, have you ever seen yourself the way God sees you? It's the object of his love. Awaiting your faith in his son so that he can pour out that love on you. Is that where you're at? Because if you're not, and if you haven't been able to answer yes to those questions, that could be yours today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You do not need to wait. You don't need for a pastor or a priest to pray some magical prayer and do the sign of the cross over you. This is a personal relationship that God wants to begin, and he wants to make a covenant with you. He wants to bring you into a belonging friendship and relationship with him. You know, there's a story about a wealthy Englishman who many years ago purchased a Rolls Royce and he took it, had it shipped to France. Well, it doesn't take far to get it to France, so he got it over there. And, and the Rolls Royce in that year, this is a long time ago, had been advertised as the car of all cars, a problem-free automobile. But when the man got it to France, it almost immediately broke down, so he called Rolls Royce in England, and they flew a mechanic to France, and the man fixed his Rolls Royce. And of course, the guy who owns the Rolls Royce expects to get an expensive bill from them since they had flown all the way out of the country to fix his car. But months go by, no bill ever comes. He never even heard from them. So finally, he has a lot of integrity. So he wrote to them and he said, Listen, I can pay the bill, just send it to me. Now, I want you to hear what came back from Rolls-Royce. They sent him a note back that said, quote, I'm sorry, sir, but we have no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your car. Therefore, you owe nothing. Friend, you got to listen to this. That's exactly what happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because when you believe the gospel and you put your faith and you trust Jesus for your salvation, then you're going to receive forgiveness and righteousness. And God's going to look at you and he's going to say, I have absolutely no record of you ever having sinned. That's exactly what he's telling you. Because every one of your sins, past, present, and future, were heaped onto the willing, sacrifice, crucified Jesus. And all of his righteousness and the blessings that come with it were poured into the bank account of your soul. And God looks at you as being as righteous as his son, Jesus. Now listen, it takes faith to believe that. Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of you don't believe that. And I think a lot of you are Christians and you don't believe that. Because you're walking around wallowing in guilt. You're walking around shackled in shame. That's your evidence that you don't believe what the gospel says. 
See, your former relationship with your flesh is dead. Your old self was crucified on the cross. You crucified the flesh and its passions and your desires. You put your faith in the Son of God as your Lord and Savior. You rejected your old way of sin. You asked for eternal life and you nailed your flesh on the cross. You rejected it. You chose the gift of faith, Christ. But listen, you got to remember that crucifixion is 100% effective. It never failed. There's not one historical record of a crucifixion not killing the victim. The victim always dies, but the death is almost always slow. And that's how it is for us with the flesh, is it not? That flesh is nailed to the cross, chapter 5, verse 24. We cry out, when will it die? When will I quit tripping up on this sin? When will I be able to resist this desire? When, Father, will it die? You know what the Romans did? They learned to hasten death by breaking the legs of its victims. You see, the problem in crucifixion is not breathing in. You can inhale on the cross without much difficulty, but you cannot get air out of your lungs without lifting up and relaxing your diaphragm muscles. That's the only way to exhale. So it was every exhalation that hurt and agonized on the cross. You break their legs, and it's not long before their arms no longer have the strength to lift them up because their feet can no longer, their legs can no longer help. And they asphyxiate to death. Christian, by faith, you got to break the legs of the flesh. you got to hasten its death. How do you do that? Every day, you look upon the cross. It's your only means of victory. And you see there again, hey, my old self, it's still crucified. I don't have an orientation to sin anymore. I've got an orientation to do right. And I've got the power of God in me. But I'm in this body of sin, so it's a war. I need the Spirit of God. So every day you look, yep, the old self, it's still up there. I can pronounce victory over it. I can walk in obedience to the Spirit of God. He will give me the means to win. He will give me the power to say yes to righteousness and no to sin. And I don't need to wallow in shame and guilt. It was all put on Christ on my behalf. By the way, this is why we do the Lord's Supper. It's your continual reminder. Your old self is nailed with Christ. And you can have victory through the body and the blood of Jesus. And it lifts your gaze, the Lord's Supper does, where you see Jesus and empowers you to struggle and to battle and to break the legs and hasten the defeat of the flesh's passions and desires. Christian, you could begin every day with a thrilling assurance that you are accepted by God. Listen, not on the basis of your own efforts, but on the basis of the infinitely perfect righteousness of Christ. Do you really believe this? I'm telling you, a lot of us don't, which is why you don't have victory. You crucify the flesh with its desires. You do it by faith, trusting that what Jesus has done through his own death and resurrection accomplishes all of these glorious truths for you. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Listen, the crucifixion's ruthless. 
It's pitiless. It's relentless. If there are certain books that you are reading that are leading you into sin, listen, quit rationalizing. Just quit justifying. Get rid of them. Burn them. If you've got music that is not glorifying to God and it keeps putting thoughts and attitudes and emotions in your heart that fuel the desires of your flesh, listen, you just got to get rid of it. That's how you break the legs of your flesh. If you've got friends that are leading you to sin, you got to change your friends. It is ruthless. It is relentless. You don't be polite. You don't delay. You don't take a few weeks to make a decision. You make the change by breaking its legs. The secret of holiness, Alistair Begg says, lies in the degree and decisiveness of my repentance. Well, you might say, well, I can't give them up. I'm not strong enough. That's the reason Paul wrote about the war on the flesh of the spirit. You've got the spirit of God in you. You may never, Christian, ever say that you are not strong enough. you got God himself and all of his power, Peter says, working in you. If the very God that created everything that there is, including the sinews and joints and the blood vessels of your own body, if that powerful God lives in you and all of his might is at your disposal, you can break the legs by faith. And you can have victory. And you will learn what it means to have a spirit-led life, which is point number two. And I'm going to be very brief. I'm going to read to you a four-point or four-line poem that you can actually memorize this. I would actually encourage you to do that. Might not be up there long enough for you to be able to write it down, but you can get it on the web. Run, John, run, the law commands. But gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. If you can repeat that to yourself, that the gospel gives you the wings to be able to fly in victory. God will give us the power to do all that he asks. Christian, do you believe that? Do you truly? I'm telling you right now, I think a lot of you don't. This is a challenging sermon. Do you really believe this? Can you really say by faith, I believe that statement, Pastor Tim. God will give us the power to do all that he asks. Well, look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And your mind translate if with since. The NIV, I think, got it better. Continues the thought previous. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul brings us back now to the intensity of the battle. He says you got to keep in step. By the way, if you're a military man or woman, this is a military term in the Greek. It means to march in formation. It means to get in line. You're out of rank. you got to get back in rank. you got to get back in formation. you got to march to the orders of the captain. This is all about submission to the Spirit of God. His point is that since we belong to Jesus... And since we've crucified the flesh, remember, you've seen the old self. It's still there. Yeah, I know you just lost that battle last week. You gave in to temptation. Listen, look back to the cross. The old self didn't get off. It's the desires pulsing in your body, but you can break the legs of it. You, can, you must break the legs of it. So you've got to get back in formation and trust and submit to the Spirit of God. Don't give up. Don't give in despair. Trust the Lord that his power is at work in you. You've got the power to be able to get the victory. 
But you cannot fight against the flesh and your own strategies and strength. You're going to lose. Our old nature was crucified with Christ. And because we have crucified the flesh, we're breaking its legs. We can live in confidence that we will never be dominated by it again. And yes, our desires, they rail against us. And yes, we will lose a skirmish here and there. But truly, by faith, do you believe there, tr- there really is no power any longer in our flesh that can master us? It cannot put us under its dominion unless you volunteer yourself to its service. Did you hear that? I mean, how ridiculous is it, and I'm bringing myself into this because I am certainly guilty of this, but how, how ridiculous it is that we've got the power to say no to the flesh, but yet sometimes we volunteer ourselves into its slavery until God comes along with enough conviction and enough hope to help us gaze on the cross again. Hey, your old self is dead. It's crucified. It's not dead. It's crucified. It's going to die your flesh is going to die. you got to break the legs. you got to hasten it. Get out of its deadness and get the victory again. So when he says through his word, don't step foot on that path that leads to sin. Listen, you stay in formation and you obey. When he says to move and follow him, you don't hesitate for even a moment. You spend more time in relationship to him. You think about that war with sin and the victory that could be yours. I'm going to close, actually, with, a, with an illustration that will help this really make sense. A guy named Bill came to know Christ, and his friend Jim said to him, Bill, I feel sorry for you. I mean, you're a guy that used to love the high life. Look at you now, settled down, going to church, reading the Bible, praying. You never have a good time anymore. But Jim, says Bill, the Christian, you don't understand Now, I want you to hear this. You ready? I get drunk every time I want to. I flirt and carry on with women every time I want to, and and I buy whatever I want. I'm flying higher than ever. Jim said, I don't understand. Bill, I don't get it. I thought you had to give all that up when you find religion. Bill, the Christian, said this, and here's the key. Jim, you've got it all wrong. I found religion in a relationship with Jesus, and he took all that want to out of my life when he saved my soul. And he made me a new person in him, and he's giving me new desires. Friends, that's the key to victory. You got to look on that cross. Your old self was crucified. It broke the relationship that you have to sin. You're no longer under dominion to the law, which pointed to your sin, which stirred up your sin, which enslaved you to your sin. Man, you died to it. You broke that marriage. You now belong to Jesus. And Jesus said, I've got a new way for you to belong. I've got my spirit, and I'm putting him in your heart. And he's going to flood you with desires, but every day you've got to break the legs of your flesh. Because you're battling desires in you, and you're losing some of these wars, but you're not going to lose the final one. The outcome's going to be victory because my power is at work in you. Do you believe that by faith? And I would ask you, do you believe that by faith? 
Because if you do not, you will not win that war. And if you do, this war is winnable. So let's win it together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.